0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Let's pray, church. We believe this to be a holy moment right now. standing and declaring the glory of our God to you, our God. I'm gonna pray right now, church, and I'm gonna take your voice. I'm gonna pray as, and lead us in prayer as if I were you. God, here I am again in church this morning. Here I am again, God, Standing in this room, the person to the left and the right, maybe they don't know exactly the week I had. Maybe they don't know exactly the hurts and the pains that crept in. They don't know the joys. They didn't see the frustrations. They didn't see the moments of doubt. They didn't see the slip ups and the mistakes and the sin. And they certainly haven't seen my heart. They don't know the real kind of person I am. But you do. God, you look right inside me right now. You know exactly the kind of person I am. You see exactly the failures. You see all of the sin. You see all of the struggles. You see all of the hurt. You see all of the brokenness. You see all of the times of weeping and frustration. You see the times when I lose it with my kids. You see the times when I lose it at work. You see the old sins creep in. Here I am again in church, God. I'm not standing here today because I'm perfect. I'm not here today because I got my act all together. I'm standing here today. I'm in here today because I need you today. I need you in my life today. I can't live this life. I can't be the kind of man or the kind of woman that you're calling me to be. I need you in my life to do this. And so God, I I stand before you today right now in this room and I, I turn away. I declare that the way I've lived this week, those things that you alone can see, God, I confess those before you. And I'm thankful, God, again, as I stand here today for the truth of the gospel that I do not need to be perfect. You're not calling perfect people to come and follow you, you're calling broken, tired sinners to cling to the grace and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect work of Christ upon the cross is why I'm here today. I'm here today because Jesus has died for me. And I can't claim any righteousness of my own. I claim the glory and the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for me. So here I am again today in church, God, needing you and calling out to you that you would move today that you would speak to me even right now as I get to open up your word, that you would have a word for me today, that I would hear from you today. Because the thing I need today is not some man speaking to me. The thing I need today is not even songs sung. The thing I need most today is Jesus Christ. Him revealed to me that my heart would be filled with love for him as I seek his mercy and his grace. That's ready for me even today. So thank you, God, that you're not calling perfect people to you because I'm far from that. Thank you, God, that you're calling broken people to you. So, Lord, would you bring me to you today? Lord, would you bring us all to you today? That you be glorified in this place, that our hearts would fill with joy as you are glorified in this room. We pray this now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Harvest Niagara. It's great to be here. I I I you're not supposed to have favorites when you travel. Can I just say that? Okay? Um, I'm usually upset when I come here because I don't get a chance to see your pastor and I'll just say this, I say this every time, your pastor is one of my favorite preachers uh, in Ontario, Uh, not only for the messages that he gives but also for the heart of the man. I love him very much. Normally I'm upset because I don't get to see him but he's at our church and so I was there last night and I got to shake him and I got to hug him and feel the bristles of his beard next to me which (laughs) made me feel so great. Uh, Thank you, thank you on behalf of Harvest Oakville for sharing him uh, this weekend. We love him very much. And he's brought a great word to our church on forgiveness. And I get to be God's messenger in a little of exchange today uh, in speaking of thanksgiving. And and I'd like to invite you, if you would please, turn with me uh, to Luke's Gospel in chapter 17. Again, we're gonna talk about thanksgiving today. Uh, And we need to talk about thanksgiving because there is an epidemic around us of thanklessness. Oh, the ushers are are walking by. If you need a Bible, just, just raise your hand up so that they can see you as well. And thank you for that. Uh, there is uh, an epidemic of thanklessness. You might see that if you uh, uh, have, a, have a child, uh, a grumpy child who wants more and more and more, or the grumpy teenager who, who what they have isn't really uh, good enough. What about the grumpy husband or wife who, who takes and takes and takes and takes and never says thank you? What about the grumpy senior who doesn't see the good anywhere Thanklessness appears with our dealings at work. Thanklessness appears in our homes, with our health, with our possessions and the things that we have and in the things that we don't have. Thanklessness appears with who is with us and the relationships we have and who isn't with us and and the quality of the relationships that are around us. Thanklessness appears in the cars that we drive and the things that we own and the buses that we wait for. If you want a good example of thanklessness, leave this service right after today and go to a Tim Hortons and stand in line or better, yet, go to a Costco and you will see thanklessness on display. Thanklessness says nothing is good enough. Now, God's word has a lot to say about being thankful. Here's just a few. Let me put them up on the screen for you. Uh, The the, uh, Psalm 50 verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Thanksgiving is a sacrifice to God that glorifies him. What about Psalm 118? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The character of God is a reason to be thankful. How about the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians? Give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or how about in Philippians? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known To God. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means this it is an inescapable reality, believer in Jesus Christ, it is an inescapable reality that God calls us to be thankful. What does this mean? It means real faith produces real thanksgiving in our lives. If I'm really in Christ, real thanksgiving should be growing out of my life in an increasing measure. Do you see that in your life? Or are you like many? You see this grumpy current in your life. Do you see the grumpy in your life this morning? Now listen, that's a problem, says God's word. No one wants to be called uh, immature. No one wants to be told that they're immature. But I, a guest in your church, will tell you that if you see this swamp of grumpy continually growing in your life, Grumpy about this, grumpy about that. Thankful, thank less about this, thank less about that. Thank less about that person. If you see that in your life, where you are always the victim, where life never has enough for you, where there is a constant unending swamp of grumpy, listen, listen, you are either not saved or you're immature and you need to grow. I see that in my life. I need to grow in this. And what we're going to see from God's word again today is that real faith produces this great increasing measure of real thankfulness. Nothing nothing is worse, am I right? Nothing is worse than a thankless child who takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. And nothing is worse for a proclaimed believer in Jesus Christ who is thankless. What if we were to do a little survey and you took a little scrap of paper off the sermon notes today and you wrote on there, uh, am I a thankful person? checkbox yes, checkbox no, and you were to pass it to your friend in the church right now, and I close my eyes. What would that? what would it come back? What if you were to pass it to someone who knows you better, like your spouse? What if, right now, we were taking a survey of your kids and saying, is mommy or daddy thankful or not thankful? We're not doing that right now, just to put you at ease. But what if we did? What would come back? Here's great grace for us today, great grace for us today. The book that you have in front of us, the book that, that we have, has great answers to the grumpy, ungrateful heart. To so the heart that continually says, I want more, I want more, I want more. Nothing is good enough. The life that just takes and takes and takes. This book has all the help that we need today. God's word is enough for us today. How great is that? How how do you find a thanksgiving in your life? Let's dive into God's word together. Uh, Luke 17 uh, verse 11 reads this. Luke 17 verse 11 says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and and Galilee. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Let me just pause there uh, for two seconds and set the context what we're in. Uh, he, that's Jesus, of course, he's walking, it tells us, between the borderlands of Samaria and Galilee. He's in a transitional place uh, between two different cultures. Do you know the cultural difference between the Samaritans and, and the Galileans? The Samaritans were, 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 were people that were displaced from the Promised Land. They originally were Jews in the land in the north, and then this nation of Assyria comes along, and they conquer, if you read the book of Isaiah, you read about the Assyrians and Sennacherib, this great, amazing general and king at the time. They would come down and they swooped into the northern tribes and scooped them all the way. And what they would do, these nor- th- these foreign invaders, is they would enculturate them into their culture. So they would pick you up as, as a displaced person, and. They would repopulate you throughout the kingdom. Now, as time goes by, these people who say they're Jews, but they've intermarried over and over and over again, but they say they're Jews, they begin to move back into the land. They have different practices, different cultures. In fact, they worship at a different location. They worship at Mount Gerizim. And at the base of Mount Gerizim is a little place called Shechem. And that place, Shechem, is where the tabernacle was first set up in the promised land. These are different people. That's the Samaritans. The, the Galileans, they were people that were, that were removed, not by the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians a couple hundred years later. They were picked up by the Babylonians, brought into Babylon, but they didn't intermarry. They didn't mix around. And so in a few, uh, 70 years later, they were able to move back and they knew who they were. They could point to their bloodlines. They could point to who they were. They, they knew th- th- that they were Jews. They didn't worship at Mount Gerizim, they of course worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple. That's the borderland, these two cultures that Jesus walks into. This is the transitional space that the hero of our story walks. Now check out verse 12. And As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now in the Greek, we're told they're men, 10 male lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master! Have mercy on us. We've met the hero. Now, here's the desperate people 10 men infected with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a disease that's manifested in changes of the skin. What actually happens is the, the mucous membranes and peripheral nerves start to lose sensation. So lepers would often damage their fingers by touching things that were too hot or too sharp. They wouldn't know it. Leprosy anesthetizes the body so that the feeling in the limbs are lost. And then you can get really hurt if you don't know that what you're touching is hot or if you don't know that what you're touching is sharp you can get really hurt. Now, what you may not know is that leprosy was very contagious, and it still is very contagious. It was spread by contact with someone, and effective treatment for leprosy, get this, I just found this out, effective treatment for leprosy wasn't found until 1980. Almost 1980 years after this story. Now, without a cure, societies, and this was not just the Israelites, societies would cast them out. If you had this in Israel, you had to separate yourself from the camp. And what's more, you had to warn people of your presence so that you were conveying your uncleanness as you were walking. Here's what Leviticus chapter 13 says. It says, this is straight from the the, the Old Testament. This is what you were supposed to do with a leper. Uh, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip Preventing spittle and things like that. Cover his upper lip and he should shout out, unclean, unclean. And he'll remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I think you can see that the bigger problem for the lepers, more than the disease, was the ostracism that the law prescribed. You had to go away from people. A leper was banished from his city, from his society, from his family, from his friends. He was kicked out. So that's our desperate people. Ten men infected with leprosy. Society's complete outcasts. So that's why they're standing at a distance at this unnamed village on the border. And the mercy that they're crying out for is healing from this socially destroying diseases. We've met the desperate people. We've met the hero. Now, we all know how this is going to end, don't we? Like, if you didn't read the rest of the story, you know what's going to happen here. You know how this is all going to work out. You know that if these guys meet with Jesus, they're for sure going to get healed, You just step back and say, oh, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. You can picture the disciples, can't you, in this context, as as Jesus and the disciples are walking between this borderland and they hear the call of these 10 lepers from a distance. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. You can picture the disciples talking amongst themselves. You can see Peter going, hmm. Okay, watch this, boys. Two shekels says he's going over there and he's going to heal them. He's going to touch them you can say, maybe James is like, no, 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 no. I'll take that bet. He's going to use the mud this time. I don't know what, how it's going to work, but he's going to pick up mud. He's going to put mud on them. And that's what, you think it's mud? You think it's mud? Thomas, what do you think? I, I, don't, I don't really think he's going to do it. I don't think he's going to, Thomas, why are you always going to be like that? <laughs> why, why are you going to always doubt, Thomas? Well, the text tells us exactly what he does. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now that's new. From a distance, he calls to them Go and show yourselves to the priests. What? What's happening here? Que c'est? Listen, listen. Just as there were commands in the Old Testament for lepers to separate themselves for the sake of the community, so too there were commands in the Old Testament for bringing back healed lepers into the community. Healed lepers were supposed to go show themselves to the priest. And then healed lepers would then be examined by the priest. Healed lepers would be watched for eight days for any traces of the disease. And then healed lepers got to be reunited with their families. So what happens? Verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. And notice this, and as they went, they were cleansed. As, in going, they were healed. While obeying Jesus, they were healed. Whoa. Now that's something new. You can picture it. These desperate men calling out, Jesus, master. Jesus, master, have mercy on us does he hear us, does he hear us, come on guys, wake up, come on, get rusty, wake up rusty, come on rusty, wake up, Jesus, master, have mercy on us, oh, he's turning, he's looking at, he sees us, what does he say, go and show yourselves to the priest, and you can picture, can't you, you see the picture in front of you, one of the artists has it this way, all of a sudden, they turn and they walk to the priest. We haven't tried, okay, we'll go, we'll go to the priest. And they, as they walk, the sensation would begin to come back into the fingers. And the, and the toe, you can see the scene in the picture here. What's, look, 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 look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look at your hands. Look at your face. Well, I mean, you can't look at your face. But look, like, look at my face. Is it like, is it getting better? This is incredible. Now this brings us to the first point I have for us today. How do you live with real thanksgiving? How can the believer in Jesus Christ live with real thanksgiving today? Here's the first thing I want to show you. It's this. Get your help from Jesus. That's how you do it. Get your help from Jesus. Remember, real faith produces real thanksgiving. You won't be thankful to the Lord. You won't give thanks to him in all circumstances if you don't, listen, if you don't ask him for help. You're not gonna do it. You have to ask in order to be thankful. What I'm saying here is very very simple. Prayer and thanksgiving Go hand in hand. You show me a man or a woman who is in the swamp of grumpiness, grouching about this, not satisfied with this, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough, I'm again the victim in my story. You show me a man or woman like that, I will show you guaranteed a man or woman who has a weak or non-existent prayer life. That's going to be there. And likewise, show me a man or woman who's filled with gratitude, who's walking in the midst of trial and difficulty, who's, who's being thankful even in the midst of difficulty and pain. Show me a man or woman like that, and I will show you a man or woman who's praying, who's asking God for help. Prayer is at the center of their lives. And how do we ask? We ask expectantly. We ask expectantly. Look at how these men asked. They didn't, they didn't, just, they didn't have a pity party on the, on the edge of town, did they? I mean, if anybody had a right to a pity party, it's these 10 men. They've been socially ostracized. They've been kicked out, not only afflicted with the disease, but they've been left to to die alone, a slow death. They have the option, if they want it, to not ask for any help. They have the option to live in the pity party, but they don't do that. Hey, hey, did you hear that Jesus is coming to town? Let's go ask him for help. Let's ask him specifically that he would help us, heal us from our disease. Imagine if they didn't do that. Imagine if they just sat there and said, nobody can help me. Are they getting healed? This story's played out not just in my home, I'm sure, but in other homes. It's hot outside, it's the summer months. The children come in after being outside and hot and sweaty and they're coming inside, and they want something refreshing. So they ask Dad for a Popsicle or a Freezy. Usually they come in in, in an order of age, the oldest down to the youngest. And they come in first, and the oldest says, Dad, can I, can I have a Freezy? Sure. There you go. And then the next ones come in, and they see the oldest one with the Freezy. And they look, and they go, And then they walk upstairs in their room, embracing their victimhood, <laughs> laying on their bed, shaking with tears. And you go up. What's wrong? Something happened. What's wrong? Freezing. How did you get a freezer? A freezer. It's not just in my home, I'm sure. And what do you say as a parent? Well, you didn't ask. Why don't you try asking? You didn't ask, so I didn't give. Listen, how much? Believer in Jesus Christ, how much thanklessness is in your life because you haven't even asked God for help in the middle of the trial? You haven't even spoken to God about that pain or that hurt or that crisis or that great need or that sin that you can't shake. And God's looking at you saying, but you didn't even ask. Just ask. Listen, the truth is the more that prayer is the reality in your life, the more thanksgiving will result. That's the truth. The lepers ask. And look what happens when they ask. Check this out, believer in Jesus Christ. Let me show you one word that will bless you in our story. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. When he saw them, the text says, Jesus sees them. They have been ignored and forgotten and cast out by society. But the creator of the universe walks into this borderland and he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't forget them. He sees them. He sees them. They've been cast aside by men, but that's not how Jesus, the son of God, is going to treat them. He sees them. And that reality, loved ones, is your reality in Christ as well. Jesus sees what you're going through. He hears you. He listens to you. And and with that truth in our heart, it compels expectant prayers. God, I know you're listening. God, I know you can hear. God, I know you can see the situation and the trial and the struggle that I'm in right now, and I'm struggling with thankfulness as a result of this trial. I know I should be thankful even in the middle of a trial, but I can't, I can't, I can't. But you see, and you know, and you can help. This difficulty, listen, believer, this difficulty that's coming in your life, maybe even right now, maybe even right this morning, this difficulty and pain is not meant to grind you down into the dust, but it's meant to press you to God who can help you in your trial. But listen, if you're not asking, you're not getting, and you're not going to be thankful. Asking in prayer is an essential ingredient in thankfulness. But notice, this conversation between you and the Lord also includes obedience. We're supposed to ask expecting, but we're also supposed to ask obediently. Prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand, yes, but obedience and thanksgiving go hand in hand as well. Here's how the Apostle James puts it in his letter in James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You do not have because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you want to disobey me in it. That's not going to work. You can't ask God for something and then live in rampant disobedience to him. When you ask him and he tells you to do something, you need to live in obedience to him. You can't expect to get something, and you certainly can't expect to be thankful in your life if you don't choose obedience. Jesus told them, what was his thing that he called them to be obedient in? He told them to go and show themselves to the priests. And so they went. And so they were healed. So what happens? Verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. While obeying Jesus, they were healed. Now there's more to the story, but let's pause halfway and let's, let's apply some stuff that I see from the text. The question I have for you this morning first is, are you in that swamp of thanklessness? If you are in that swamp of thanklessness, where is your heart going to get the help? Where are you running to to find help? Are you running to yourself? You know what? It's trouble. It's pain. It's hurt. I'm going to fix it myself. Are you running to friends? Are you diving deeper into work or asking people at work? Are you going into substances? Are you living for the next vacation? Are you living through your kids? Is it all about money? Is it mental vacations you take? Is it dwelling in anxiety? Is it seeking out pleasure? Is it living in the past? Is it living for sports? Or is it running to Jesus, the maker and the creator and the savior and the one who knows and the one who sees? Where are you going to for your help? And the next question I have for you is what is Jesus calling you to be obedient in? What is it that he said to you, I want you to be obedient in this, and you're not doing it. You're still not doing it. And you hear it again and again and again. And it's been weeks and it's been months and you've been told to be obedient in this and you know you should be obedient and you're not being obedient in it. And as a result of that, among other things in your life, you're seeing thanklessness surface. This grumpy current surface in your heart. Listen, getting your help from him. Jesus is the first step in finding thanksgiving. If God's word calls us as believers in Jesus Christ to be thankful people, even in the midst of difficulty, pain, hurt, trial, if God's word is calling us to do that, then the very first step in getting that done is getting our help from Jesus. You're not called to live this life alone in your own strength, in your own power. You're called as a follower of Jesus to cling to Jesus and get your help from him. Ask him expectantly and with obedience and finding that real faith produces real thankfulness in your life. Now, is that a reality in your life? Or could it be that you've got that swamp going on? No thankfulness. Because you haven't asked him expectantly and you haven't asked him obediently. Listen, for real thankfulness to rise in our hearts, we need to get our help from Jesus. But there's more to the story. This is half of the equation. If we stopped right here, all we would have is something like a Coke machine, God. Okay? What I mean by that, I obey, I put the $2 in, I expect to get a Coke. I, I obey, I, I, I expect to get something in return. I do what he says, I get what I want. If that's what's all it took to build real thankfulness in our life, we'd have God as a Coke machine. I do what he says, I get what I want. By the way, that is every other world religion in a nutshell. I do what it says, I get what I want. I say my prayers, my family is healthy, my crops come in. I bow in a direction, I get to go to heaven. I polish my God and put him in the front of my store and I get prosperity as a result. I do what he says, I get what I want. I do what he says, I get what I want. How many of us think that that's a real accurate definition of what real thankfulness looks like? No, I do what he says, I get what I want. If your kids treated you this way, would you think that's real thankfulness? If if your kid came to you and said, all right, I cleaned the room. I folded my clothes and put them away. Can I have my phone back? Would you step back and go, oh, what a son I have. <laughs> look at the thankfulness that's pouring off of his heart right now. Oh, what, what, if you were at work like this, look, look, uh, I came on time. I took my lunch break. I punched out. I got my check. What more do you want from me? Nothing. In fact, let's pin the employee of the month on you. You get the special parking spot. Is that real thankfulness? I do what you say, I get what I want. No, that's not real thankfulness. That's not what thankfulness is. It's not enough just to ask Jesus, even if it comes with complete obedience and expectancy. It's not enough. Real thankfulness, the kind that God wants from us and the kind that God commands from us, needs one more ingredient for it to work. And thankfully, we have one more person to meet in our story. I showed you this picture earlier with the nine guys on it. Did you count? There was only nine. I played a trick on you. Here's the full picture right here with ten. There's something different about this guy. Let's zoom in on him. You see, something has happened in this guy's life that's going to produce the kind of thankfulness, the real thankfulness that the Lord wants to see from us. This is going to be the only guy in our story that's actually really thankful. He got his help from Jesus like the rest, yes, but he's going to get a whole lot more. Let's meet him, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw there's that word again, that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. This guy's different for a couple reasons. One of the reasons he's different is because he's identified as the only Samaritan in the group. He's one of those false worshipers, according to Jews, He's the one who didn't go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. He's the one who went to, to, to Mount Gerizim and Shechem to worship there. Uh, sure, he found community among the Jews, but it's because they had a community that they were all sick in. And now that they were healed, where's his community now? He's different that way because he was a Samaritan. But the second reason he's different is because this man, this man has been given sight that the others haven't been given. He sees what's going on. He sees who healed him, and he praises God, and he falls at the feet of Jesus and thanks him. And this takes us to our second point today. If real faith produces real thankfulness in our heart, how do we live with real thankfulness in our lives? Well, first, we saw this. We've got to get our help from Jesus. But then secondly, I want to show you this, that you need to get Jesus. You've got to get your help from Jesus. But then secondly, you've got to get Jesus. Jesus. You need Jesus to make this happen. You need to find Jesus to make this happen. To have real thankfulness, the kind that God wants, the kind that glorifies God, the kind that honors the Lord Jesus, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what we've talked about so far is is this verb uh, to thank, to thank. Now, I want to do a little uh, grammar lesson. I hope I don't lose you. Uh, To thank is a verb, thanking is a verb that requires a direct object Okay, grammar nerds call this a transitive verb. A transitive verb, okay? So I pulled up some transitive verbs. Here's a transitive verb. You need to have an object in order for it to make sense in the sentence. Watch, let me explain. Okay, so please bring Craig a glass of water. Bring needs an object. What's the object? It's a glass of water. What would happen if I stood up and said, please bring Craig? You would be... What? Likewise with make. Craig will make. What will Craig make? Craig read. (laughs) What will Craig read? Craig will pay. For what? You see what I'm saying? It needs a direct object. And you know what? There's another verb like this, transitive verb. It's to thank. Thank. Craig thanks. What? Understand this. When you're thankful, you give thanks to somebody or something. You can't be randomly thankful to nobody and nothing. You're walking around church on Sunday morning, how are you doing? Oh, I'm thankful. To who? For what? Look at the other nine guys in the the chapter. We see this. Does Luke tell us that they were thankful? Nope. He doesn't. They may be happy. They're probably laughing, but they aren't thankful because to be thankful, you need to have someone to give thanks to. I think so many of us live this way, don't we? We walk around today and we'll leave this place. We'll say, I'm thankful. But are you really thankful? Even Christians, am I really? Have you actually said thank you to God? Look at the Samaritan man, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice. Is he thankful? You bet he is. Who is he thankful to? Who is the object of his thanks? He praises God. And it says, the text says, with a loud voice. That's a fun phrase. The word voice there is phonase, and the word loud is this Greek word megalase. Megalase, phonase. phone. He megaphones his praise back to God. He praises God with a loud voice. And then look at verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Thanksgiving to God is only possible through the person of Jesus Christ. I'll say it one further. To the praise of God, the glory of God is only possible if you find Jesus. Jesus. To be thankful requires someone to be thankful too. If you wanna live with real thanksgiving in your life, you need to get Jesus in your life. Jesus has to be at the center. Jesus has to be at the center because at the center of all real thanksgiving is Jesus. The man knows, the man sees this, the man understands this, he's been healed. He knows who did it, he ran to that man and he fell at the face of and thanks to Jesus. Now that's real thanksgiving. That's a very different response than the other nine. Jesus observes that as well, verse 17. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? What about the others? Where are they? Just this former leper, still it's a Samaritan, an outsider if there ever was one, a foreigner if there ever was one. Yet here he is. He's at the feet. And then he says in verse 19, and he said to him, this former leper, still foreigner, he says to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that word made you well is literally one word in the Greek, made you well, it literally means this, saved. Your faith has saved you. First time it's used in this account. Same, same word used of Jesus and the, and the, and the woman weeping at Jesus' feet. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Let me just pause for a second, though. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Haven't you noticed this in the text before? Jesus told ten of them, go and show yourselves to the priests. This guy didn't do that, did he? Jesus gave him a command. Go and show yourself to the priest. And this guy disobeyed. Does that mean that, that like he disobeyed and still got what he wanted? I want to show you something from God's word. Remember that this man is a Samaritan, right? His man is a Samaritan. He doesn't worship in Jerusalem. He worships at Mount Gerizim. He worships Shechem. The Samaritan uh, goes to a different place, different, different priests. So we can picture when Jesus calls across to the ten, go and show yourself to the priests. Nine of them go, yep, Jerusalem. And the Samaritan says, Shechem. Or Jerusalem. Or Shechem or Jerusalem. He stops and says, which priests? Which temple? And then he gets it. Oh. Isn't God's word amazing? Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus is the ultimate intercessor between God and man. Jesus is the ultimate temple. Jesus is the place where forgiveness is. Jesus is the place of healing and restoration. Jesus is the one who would sacrifice himself upon a cross just a few chapters from here for that man and for you and I. And thankfulness, real thankfulness, comes because he's gotten his help from Jesus and now, and now this man, a foreigner if there ever was one, has found Jesus. And so he megaphones his praise, praise God, and falls down at the feet of Jesus. And we can picture the sidebar conversation between Jesus and the man, can't we? We can picture Jesus going, yes, you found me. You look through life and you saw me. Well done. You received the healing from me. And then you came to me to give thanks. You got the healing. And now you found the healer. You found the greater gift. You found me. I want to show you this contrast between the 10 and the 1 here. I think it's stark. The 10, notice 10 of them come to Jesus. And one of them, uh, the 1, between the 1 and the 10. 10 of them come to Jesus. The 1, one of them comes to Jesus. Do we have this chart? Ten of them stand at a distance, but one of them falls at Jesus' feet. Did you see this? Ten of them cry for mercy. One of them praises God for receiving the mercy. Jesus sends the ten, and then Jesus will send the one. Ten are cleansed. One gets saved. Ten get healed. One gets Jesus. Jesus' question, though, is haunting me a bit. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? The choice is ours now this morning, isn't it? Is it going to be my choice to take and take and take and take and take and take and stand at a distance? And live in a world of grumpy when things aren't going my way? Or or am I gonna let thankfulness rise in my heart as I fall at the feet of Jesus with thanksgiving? I think what's clear today, I think what's clear today from God's Word is that it is possible to receive good from Jesus in common grace. Good in our health and our family and our job and our food. Good in the sun rising every morning. It's possible to get all of those things. It's possible even to be healed and yet not have Jesus. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? But today, a change can be made. Maybe today the Lord speaks to you and says, come, come, come find me. Do you see me through this life? Do you see who I am? I'm the one who reaches for the outcast. I'm the one who reaches for the sick. I'm the one who reaches for the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit. I'm the one who comes for you. I'm the one who takes the sin upon my shoulders. I'm the one who pays for the sin upon my, my, with my shoulders and my strength. I'm the one who sacrifices himself so that you might be free. I'm the one who died for you. You can come find me today and believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you've lost sight of this. Maybe the greatest thought in your life is not the Lord Jesus, but something far less. And you're seeing the grouchy, grumbling heart rise in you. Jesus is the one who calls to us all today. Come to me. You're broken, hurting, come to me. Turn your way to me, and trust in me, and find life in me. Come and give me thanks. Come to the healer come find the greater gift. Come to me. What we've seen from God's word this morning is it's just not allowed. We just don't get a pass on this to be grumpy in this life, to be thankless in this life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to be thankful. We're called to be thankful by getting the help we need from him and by getting Jesus in our lives. That's real thanksgiving. And when that comes in our lives, real thanksgiving surfaces and rises, and then real hope from real faith falls with it, even now, even today. Let me pray for us. God, if anything has been true from today's word, it has been the grace and the mercy and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need me, but you love me, and you call me to come to you today. God, I pray for the heart there that's struggling today, the follower of you who, it's been a season of, of, of grouchiness, of grumpiness. It's been a season of losing sight of you and your grace and your love for them. It's been a season of weakened prayers that have led to life overwhelming, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, and certainly grumbling and grouchiness coming in. God, would you lead us to you? Would you draw us back to these core truths of who you are and how you love us, that you are there for us even today? Would you help us fall at your feet? Maybe even, God, for some for the first time today, there's a recognition of who I am who I really am for the very first time. And looking in the mirror, I don't like what I see. God, I pray the truth of who you are reaches them as well, draws them to you, that they would see the forgiveness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in a new perspective, in a new way, bringing new life and new hope and new joy today. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have now to to close our service and to sing in praise to you. And Lord, I pray that a supernatural working in our hearts would occur where we would sing this last song even with thankfulness in our hearts. God, I pray that you would lead us in this time. Be glorified in this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.